Nooner with Dooner and my buddy here. Matt, I'm back. You're back, man. Introduce yourself. Show this lovely man to the people out here in the audience. There we go. Matt McClellan, Covenant Logistics, right here in your backyard in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> What's going on? I need a computer crash in the back. Talk to me. I don't see my graphics. Talk to me, Goose. There we go. There We're we looking go. good. We're looking good. All right. Do we got the lookout video handy, guys? You a you a big you a big uh, May the Fourth celebrator? Big I was Wars not. Guy? No, actually May the Fourth. I was on an airplane, but no, I wasn't. You're a lookouts guy, though, right? I'm, yeah, I'm a look. I'm a red. I'm a baseball. I like yeah. baseball. I like the Red Sox, and um, the lookouts here. It's, it's our local team. It's perfect. People who haven't been to Chattanooga. It's an amazing city for kids. And the games are like five, ten bucks. In fact, actually, we we're in line. Some dad was like, "Here, you need two tickets for your kids." And I was like, "Hell yeah, man! Dad bros for life." So we not got this. And, Got the kids in there for free. They got lightsabers. Everyone was going nuts. It was uh, pure, wholesome family fun. But I learned something, too. The, the lookouts have been around since 1885. Really? Out here. I had no idea. Named after our lovely uh, our lovely uh, mountain over here. Look at that. You're wearing lookout. And I'm wearing my trucker t-shirt. You are wearing your trucker t-shirt. Yeah. yeah but let's see Matt's trucker t-shirt. Let's see yeah. Let's see our shirts here. Yes. There we go. Trump lookout shirt. He's got the trucker shirt. Looking good. Hey, we got a big show today, Matt. By the way, can we wind my clock, guys? Uh, on today's show, I'm talking to the triumvirate of Convoy's Dan Lewis, Uber Freight's Bill Driegert, and J.B. Hunt's Spencer Frazier about their collaborative mission to develop an open API standard for scheduling. They've brought in 10 people, Matt. 10 people. This is like the biggest freight tech collaboration ever we've ever seen. Ever. 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 I think so. How about that? I hope I'm not over. I think a wheelbarrow race started it all, too. Have we'll, they we'll, been around since 1851? We'll get into that. Uh, 1852. Well, like longer than them, sure. Yeah. We got uh, you. We're going to talk about Act Expo, and we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and CARB, and what you're seeing in sustainability. We got software provider LogRock. Uh, they launched a uh, recruiting feature as the company continues to grow their compliance offering. Hunter Yaw is going to spill the tea. Um, supply chain veteran Paul McClellan shipping up from Boston to talk about the Boston market. We got Daring Rescues, wheel shocks, all sorts of crap on this show. So let's tip the band. We'll start talking to you. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on that responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at Dunavant.com. All right, Matty, you just got back from uh, Act Expo. Where was that? Uh, Anaheim, California. Last year was in Long Beach, which, you know, kind of fits. It's right there by the ports. But this year, moved to Anaheim. They went from three years ago, 4,000 people. Last year, 8,000 people. This year, 13,000 people. And it's carriers, you know, big fleet, uh, private fleets, public fleets, a lot of vendors, of course. But you know who else is coming? Who? A lot of private equity, a lot of financial people. I got invited to a Guggenheim event one night, and... They are fascinated. The investment community is fascinated with freight tech right now. Are they? So, you know, we're hearing a lot of companies that were nervous that had raised money about values getting dropped down and all of that. But you're seeing the VCs out there. They are. But you know what's interesting? And, well, maybe and it's because it's a little discount now, too. It is. It is a little bit different. You know, it's interesting. You and I both know that there are big revenue numbers in, in transportation, specifically trucking. Yeah. The margins aren't necessarily there, but the revenues are big. And I think the private equity folks, they're seeing the big numbers. They're coming in. I think it's a great investment. I, be honest with you, I think that private equity is a part of solving a lot of our problems because, you know, it gives us a big bank 
to sort of pull from. Some really smart people out there. We'll talk about a few of them. Um, they're well, so not before we get negative. Let's start. Let's start with yeah. the good. Let's start because we the, we'll get to it. It was all everything I just that said was positive. Was but yeah. did you see like any? Did you see any? You don't necessarily have to name names. Did you see any products or innovations or developments that you liked? So overall, not a lot that was new. Yeah. Right? There's still your traditional alternative fuels, compressed natural gas, and renewable diesel. There's still people talking about biodiesel. Talk to, to somebody that has a B100. Can you imagine B100? Yeah. That's got to be vis- the most viscous fuel ever in a fuel. But anyway, B100. And then there's, of course, lots of battery and lots of hydrogen. No flux capacitor. <laughs> no new sort of wonder chemistry coming in batteries on the horizon. Um, Did so, you happen to stop by Hylion and see the, the Carno system they You know have? what? The line to take a truck uh, to take a ride in that was a mile long, and I couldn't. Yeah. I tried to drop your name. They said, nope, sorry, back along, Thomas, dude. Thomas Healy, what are you doing? I Bring know. that out there. Because like, you need tr- – how many trucks do you guys have right now? How many electric trucks does, do you have? Um, none did, at the moment. We did two pilots last year. Yeah. So we had a truck for about eight months, and um, we turned it back in. We So remember, we're long haulers. We're long haul truckers. We average length of haul seven, 800 miles a day. The whole range issue is a problem for us. Charging infrastructure range. We did do, and we do have a, a, a handful of opportunities where, you know, we're less than 200 miles a day, doing a little bit of drayage work for um, some of our customers on the East Coast. Um, so electrification has never really been on the horizon for us, but but yeah. we're ready to do it. We, we've, we've done prototypes. We've done testing. We've got relationship in place. Really good ones with Nikola and Daimler. We're ready to go when it, when the customer's ready to go. Well, <laughs> I heard there's there's been, a, especially this week, there's you, been a, You came and saw one of our trucks. I did. I got a great picture of you jumping yeah. three feet in the air right in front of it. I know, and I said, you know, and no offense to Nikola, but I said, I, I don't think it's going to do very well because it didn't have a pull chain. It's just like, come None on. None of them do, though. I, well, no, well, the yeah. Hylions do because they put their stuff in Peterbilt's. Probably because they took your recommendation. They probably should. I mean, your companies want to go bankrupt? No. Yeah. No. No. But so you guys, you can't use that, but CARB is coming up. And I've heard that car, there's a CARB regulator there who's maybe the least popular guy in the room. The least popular guy. <laughs> but you know, we heard California 2030, 2035, companies like Covenant have to be thinking uh, if you want to be in that market about how you're going to electrify or how you're going to have a CARB certified vehicle. Was there any option for you there? So, you know, that's a longer conversation, but here's the brief version. The very first session that I went to, there was a guy from CARB who was probably the most hated person in the room. Yeah, There was, um, on the panel was the guy from CARB, somebody from um, Gladstein, Andrews & Associates, which is a, a green consulting firm, a guy from Cummings, and a guy that represented a, a fleet group. And the CARB guy got up, and you know, on my phone here, I took pictures I could show you, but it shows the timeline, 2024, 2025, what happens progressively along the way. The guy was, um, there was a lot of interesting debate back and forth. There's no way some of the regulations are ever going to be fulfilled. There's, you know, there's no diesel technology on the horizon that's going to be able to meet some of those standards they hit in 2027. But you know what the craziest thing is to me? What? So what is the statistic that you've always heard? The class eight trucks running around out there on the road, what, seven, eight percent of all the trucks on the road, something like that. Something big, like that. Big fleets. It's a, it's a large number. Yeah, so big fleets constitute about 7 to 8% of all the trucks on the road. We're the ones that have to live by the regulations. The rest of the 93% are owner-operators and fleets below 20 trucks, which those are mostly, you know, 15, 12, 10, 5-year-old trucks. Those yeah. are the ones that have the worst emissions. The fleets like us and Werner and J.B. Hunt, U.S. Express, we have the newest trucks yeah. with the best emissions. 
we have to live by their carb standards. Those guys for now are exempt. So if the goal is to really address emissions and to address the environment, you just excluded 90% of the problem. But here's one disclaimer. As a public company, we are very bullish and we feel like we have an obligation to definitely step up our game. Well, right? I know you're out there and, all and, the time. Yeah, like, and I don't, want that to be, yeah, I don't want that to be confused with the fact that we're not game. We want to continue to get better. We're just not sure it's going to happen as quickly as Carb wants us to. Does that make sense? I, I don't think viewers of the show would blame you. Like, we, we've talked about this. One thing we talked about at the beginning of this week was the numbers that Harbor Trucking Association put out. Well, I, they they broke down the numbers, but who put it out was California, right? When this, this law went into effect. And by their own numbers, they need to start building 400 chargers a week starting this week yep. to meet that 137,000 charger number by 2030. We're fans of regulation, but we're fans of smart regulation. And I think that... We're excited, as much as, as odd as that sounds, for a fleet to say this. We're excited about the opportunity to start making our fleet more zero-emission vehicle compliant, um, continue to work with the OEMs to make emissions and NOx and those types of things go down. And there's some things we haven't that we're prototyping and piloting this year that I can't really talk about that are hopefully going to make a big dent in that. But for right now, when I look at what the fleet looks like, if you were to ask me, Matt, what your fleet looked like in 2025, I don't know. Hmm. But I will know soon because we have to make purchasing decisions. Well, let me ask you about because this topic came up. I was on uh, Grayson Brulte's road to I, I, I just listened to that. Yeah. And, yeah. and Grayson's great because I, I can bring sort of the trucking perspective and I'm a bit of a tech nerd, but he's like all in on like autonomy and EV. Mm. But he's not like he's not uh, he doesn't try and juice it that much. Like he has, takes very realistic approaches to what yeah. is going on in the space. But one thing that came up was electrified trailers. And I'll tell you, speaking of Hylion, I went down there uh, just about a year ago, mm -hmm. took a ride in their truck, and I interviewed Thomas, and I asked them what kind of pivots the company did. And he said one of the biggest ones is initially the idea wasn't to put the, um, the natural gas and battery equipment on the truck at all. It was to put it on the trailer. But they, they decided after talking to industry insiders that because of trailer repositioning and everything, it would be a big challenge. But you were telling me right before we went on air that you actually saw some electrified trailers over at ACT. Yep. So there's a company called Range Energy. It's a relatively new startup. A lot of the original members of Tesla are there. And um, they've got a, a trailer with an e-axle and a 200-kilowatt battery, yeah. right, that's charged up through regenerative braking and then also through a charge port. So think of the kingpin, right? And they've developed the technology inside the kingpin where if there's a pull on the kingpin, right, because the truck's moving forward, the trailer starts pushing. Um, if it starts to slow down it then deactivates the E-axle and kind of turns on the regenerative braking component of it. And so the, it, was, it was cool. They built this little mini trailer and they put a handle on the end of it. And they said, okay, go walk up to the trailer and let's move it around the parking lot. 700 pound trailer. I just barely moved it. It would go forward, backwards, side to side. It was really interesting. But here's the crazy thing about it is that you bring up a good point. I had to remind these tech guys, not truckers. Yeah. You know that that's not going to be paired with the truck all that often, right? We have a three to one, two and a half yeah. to one truck to trailer ratio. So to your point, we can't do that to all our trailers. They wouldn't really share a price, but it's going to be not cheap. Well, that was like US Express, right? When, yeah. when those numbers, like the Night Swift, it was like 80,000 trailers to 25,000 trucks. Yeah. And, and, you know, every fleet has more trailers than trucks. And, you know, when you can't keep them coupled together, you know, you don't want to leave a hundred thousand dollar trailers yeah. sitting, you know um you know sitting somewhere on a lot not being used but it was really interesting their claim is a 41 percent fuel reduction now they're just going to start to go into testing here pretty soon i think it's interesting i'm going to follow it 
Um, that's what Covenant pays me to do as their innovation sustainability guy. Um, it's expensive, right? But yeah. 41% fuel savings, that's that's pretty interesting. Now, are there so do are there government programs and stuff that can help a covenant a company like Covenant jump into this? We saw like the partnership in California between Frito-Lay and the Tesla Semi, which is mostly paid for by the taxpayer. Right. Um, are there any opportunities like that for Covenant to take these sort of risks without doing it necessarily at your own expense? So the the group that put on the ACT Expo, and just for you know your listeners, um, ACT is Alternative Clean Transportation. It's sponsored by this group called Gladstone Andros and Associates. It's probably the, the most well-known um, consulting company that helps people deal with grants, initiatives, understand what's available at the federal level, at the state level. Um, they help people really understand the VW money and sort of how that's going to be parceled out. You know, some of our country's greatest innovations, and I've done a lot of work on this as my innovation background, um, some of the greatest inventions have been through the help of government assistance. You sure. know, it's easy, easy to pick on government, and I'm sort of a free market kind of guy, but government is responsible for everything from space travel, aviation, smallpox, obviously COVID vaccine. There's so much that incentives can do to not only solve problems, but also prop up industries in the beginning that have a high jump in cost. And so a lot of ways to your point, Dooner, is we do need some assistance and there is money out there. How about the other side of it, the infrastructure side? Like, have you approached anyone to cost out what it would be to put like a heavy duty charger over at like your HQ here in Chattanooga? We're doing it right now. And here's, there's three pieces to it. One is there's the real estate and all the kind of permitting that goes with the bearing and construction. The second is you have to do a power analysis, right? Because you're not just building for what you need today. You're building stuff for what you might need in the future. You're not, you, may, you may stub it out and run wire. And then, of course, you have to talk to the utility to find out if there's enough electricity in the area. I could tell you story after story after story of fleets that I talked to, ones that have been here with you on your show, people that have been through the office here at Freight Waves, who have trucks sitting in yards in California collecting dust because they can't get permits to build charging infrastructure in the very state that is most aggressive about electrification. Um, some of it is due to just like red tape permitting and, you know, however that side of things works. But a lot of it is they just don't have enough power. This is in a state that still does brownouts, right? And rolling sure. brownouts and blackouts. And so there was a little bit of uh, tongue in cheek where, you know, right there within five miles of where we were in Anaheim, there's not enough power to light up 25 trucks at night without making somebody's power go dim. Excellent. Um, so when, when you look at this though, when you look at the, the challenge, sorry, I got distracted by a slide. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's that okay. Is, man, yeah. And the noise is like, it'll throw me off. Like, you, like when you're- There's the light reflecting off my head. That was distracting. Yeah, I should wear a hat, yeah. shouldn't I? Yeah. No, no, seriously. So there are all these challenges. So from your perspective, you go to these things and the, the mm -hmm. clock's ticking. You still have a little bit of time, but the clock is ticking. Where does this industry need to get to service covenant? So- Man, if that was the big question, right? Yeah. Because, you know, we're walking around the expo hall where, and, and it was huge. And there's so many great new inventions and really um, enhancements on existing ones. You know, Daimler had a big announcement of electric box truck, the EM2 that they were, you know, putting into a version two. Um, but there is no one magic bullet, right? Right now, none of us really know how we're going to get there. We are, you know, it's not just California. There's 16 other states that are following on with CARB. We do have a plan that I can't share publicly. Part of it is based on credits and things that have been built up, and part of it has to do with purchasing decisions. Um, that's going to get us through the next few years. We spent a lot of time with Cummins and Detroit um, talking about engine technology on the horizon. That's going to start getting um, 
uh, helping to meet standards a little bit better. But in, when 2026 and 27 comes around, there is no technology on the horizon that's going to be able to meet the standards that CARB has. We don't really know just right yet. But here's what I do know. Yeah. I'm going up to Indianapolis. I'm spending time with the engineers at Cummins. Our fleet um, experts at Covenant are spending time. You know what I really love is that um, our competitors, so me and a friend of mine from Warner, another friend of mine from CRST, uh, we had breakfast one morning and we all talked about it as peers, right? Because this is a problem we got to solve together, not as competitors. And so here are a bunch of people sitting around a table that normally don't have conversations talking about thoughts and ideas and strategy. And that's just one part about trucking that I love. Very cool. So yeah. what's next for you? Where, where, where are you going to next? You're a man on the scene. You're a man about town. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really fortunate. I get asked to speak at some different events. I'm doing something at ATA, their finance council in a few months and a few weeks. Um, you know, one thing that I'm doing is, um, customers are, are, are asking us a lot about sustainability and not so much what are we doing with our own fleet, but what sort of things do you see on the horizon? What sort of technologies do we start budgeting for? Almost like they're treating us as consultants. And so um, I'm having a lot of fun talking to customers right now about the art of the possible. Um, what else is coming up? Um, what are you going to next? What am I going to? Future Look, supply chain. Future supply chain. Oh, that's at right. the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame. Of course. And then back here in November, right? Back here in November, right here in Chattanooga. We had a big, actually, we had a big parade today. We're very festive around here. Um, we need to make sure that we connect at the Consumer Electronics Show next year. It's a long way off, but that was so much fun this year, right? Yeah. It's it going to be, it's going to be a little bit later in January this year. In fact, for anybody out there watching, if you are in trucking, um, there's so much, it's called the Consumer Electronics Show. You think that there's a consumer focus to it, but there was so much there for, for people in our industry right? Not even designed for us. So if you don't go, you should go. Figure out a way to get in. Wow. Well, Matt, thank you so much for stopping by. I always appreciate it when you come down here. Um, and thanks for giving us a sobering take on, on what's going on in here. That's, this is what the industry needs. And they have to understand that there's challenges on all sides here. And this is what the fleet has to deal with, with these regulations that are coming. It's exciting though, You're working right? on it. It's exciting. It's still it not exciting. just sobering. It's exciting at the same time. It is time. exciting. It is exciting because look, the, your needs are really going to push this innovation forward. It's, it's, Even if they have to go back to the drawing board, some of these companies. Even if they have to refine their pitches. Absolutely. And, and some of, several of them do. Yeah. The, the, one last thing. The, the funniest thing is tech people from Stanford and MIT, not truckers, solving problems and reminding them of things that you do know that the trailer and the tractor don't stay together all yes. the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Why not? Like, does it matter why they don't? They don't. <laughs> no, it's not how, it's usually not how it works around here. Some guy tried to say, do you want a job? Like, I have a job. I like it a lot. Um, but I can give you some names. Well, hey, thanks again for having hey, me. Thanks for coming by, Maddie. All right. Take care. We'll see All you. All right, everybody. Meanwhile. You got to leave. You got to leave. But you want these moose with me. Okay. So there's two moose here uh, for you audio listeners, and they're in someone's backyard. This is like a Nest camera. Um, Who's guest number two? That's the Uber. That, the Uber. That's Bill Drieger. He's not the moose. That's not. That's not Bill and Dan. Those moves. I know, those but I see him movies. all the time. And every oh, okay, you know, he's a really good drummer. I know. He's smiling. He knows what we're talking about. One time, he uh, he had like a sales goal of Uber Freight, and I asked him to drum, and he held out. He held out for like a year, and then they hit it, and they hit the goal, and he came on, and he drummed on his drum kit. Who's guest number three? Uh, that's Dan Lewis. And who's guest number one? Boy, that's. McClellan with my last name. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that's Hunter Yaw from Log Rock. Oh, in that's there. right. He's looking at my screens. All right, get, get out of here, Matt. Steve, overstage your welcome. All right, we got Bill Drieger. 
We got Dan Lewis, and look, he pays me to come on this show. That's that's why I have guests like this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is from um, who is this from? This is from truckparkingclub.com. Hey guys, I think that we're trying to get Spencer Frazier in, but um, just like all tech, <laughs> they're still working on that one. But I wanted to bring you two gentlemen on. It is Bill Drigger from Uber Freight. And it's Dan Lewis from Convoy. And you two should be enemies, but you're starting to work together. I love to see it. Hey, what's up? Yeah, we well, you know it's, it's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good to be here. Good to be here. How you doing, Dan? Uh, I'm good. I'm feeling good, man. Summer's upon us. I live in Seattle, so we measure uh, happiness in sunlight this time of year. Are you a Kraken fan? You uh, you have you embraced the new hockey? I am team? a Kraken fan. I am a Kraken fan. Last night was a little bit rough. Got away from us there in the third period, but uh, I have high hopes. One and one, still feeling good. Well, we've got two of the 10 of you here, and we covered this, I don't know, a few months ago, right? We talked about the uh, the Supply Chain Scheduling Consortium. It's got a very sort of cyberpunk name. For those of us who did not catch that one, though, can uh, Bill or Dan, can you tell us what this is and, and how it came together? Bill, you yeah, take so the, yeah, the idea of the Supply Chain Scheduling Consortium is to uh, define a standard for scheduling APIs within the industry. The reason that's important is that scheduling is its a very fragmented ecosystem in our market. Scheduling uh, is typically a very burdensome process. It can be very manual. Uh, because of all the fragmentation of the systems, there just has not been standardization over time. Now what we're starting to see in the market is APIs come to market. And we wanted to ensure that as those come to market, that, that they have a standard way of defining the API, which is basically the, 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 the definition of the data that we send back and forth. It's the standard of how we interact with these scheduling systems. And so about uh, a year ago, uh, Dan, myself, and then Stuart at uh, um, uh, JB Hunt uh, had all been having separate conversations about the, uh, the need to have more standardization in this industry, specifically around scheduling. And so that was the seed of then what drove the, the scheduling consortium. And we came together because we recognize there's this problem that it really impacts all the carriers in the market, all the shippers and all the TMS providers. Anybody that's interacting in this market has had to deal with the complexity and the friction that's created by fragmentation of scheduling. It's probably the most uh, difficult part of the process in terms of the load life cycle yeah. to automate. Dan, you, you co-signed that when, when you're sitting at Convoy from your perspective. What, what drove you into this? I think what Bill just said around, it is one of the most tedious kind of manual time-consuming tasks that we do. And getting it done more efficiently allows you to set your trucks up and, and your network up for a better outcome because you get the right truck at the right time. Um, I think, though, that the reason the standards are so important is, as Bill said, people are starting to invest more in technology more in building out APIs they can use to talk to each other and to set appointments. But if there's no standard, everyone can invest a bunch of money and energy into technology and a bunch of money in, into building out some sort of API protocols, but they won't talk to each other and the systems won't integrate. And so you'll end up with just more fragmentation and more challenge. And so we're at the beginning of this. It makes sense to spend the time and energy to build this alliance and get it right the first time. 
You know, and, and the, the consortium is growing in real time. Spencer Frazier from J.B. Hunt just joined us as well. Spencer, we were sort of talking about, just to set this up, what started this collaboration? And Bill was talking about, about the need for the communication, the APIs, and, and Dan was co-signing on that. But from J.B. Hunt's perspective, well, why work with these two? And why work with the, the other seven you just brought in? Yeah, hey, Dooner, thanks for uh, having me and uh, g- glad to get in on the conversation um, when you think about what started this, really, you can, you know, you've been in this business a while. You know the challenges of the fragmentation of our industry. Um, you also know the challenges that are faced by our drivers out there every single day. Um, those challenges associated with variability of moving from point A to point B. And when we listen to them, and then also we have that mission of trying to help them uh, do their jobs more efficiently, save time. Uh, find ways to get more miles. We knew we had to do something different. And then also listening to our customers. Our customers have shared with us over the course of time that uh, this challenge is something that's significant just because of the number of people that they deal with. Um, They work with me, they work with Bill, they work with Dan, um, they work with other competitors, uh, but none of us are speaking the same language. So it really makes it hard for them to create efficiencies in their network. So that's kind of the setup and really listening to each group. But um, when it comes down to making it real, we knew we couldn't accomplish this on our own. Uh, We knew we needed to work together. Um, Yeah, we're going to compete out there every single day, but this is something that's great for the industry. Um, It's something that uh, was validated for me in a conversation with two of our million mile safe drivers this week, Johnny from Mississippi, Melissa from California, they said, hey, if you can help me manage my variability on the road, but keep me moving when I arrive at the dock, it's going to save me time and help me get another load. So lots of reasons we're super excited about it. Well, I mean, look, this is a big change. You you talk about that spirit of competition. It was only a little over a year ago. I saw the three of your teams racing each other in wheelbarrow races across the carpet in Arkansas. (laughs) Roll this tape right here. Come on, guys. Roll that tape. Look at this. There's a team. Is this, is this what started it all? Is this what got you guys all talking? <laughs> I think it was in Arkansas when we started talking about this. Yeah, because no, no, you did was. say you did say about a year yep. ago, and now and now that you've put it together and you've stood it up, the three of you, you've brought in seven other participants into this team. How are you recruiting other companies to join you and realize that collaboration is a big need right here, um, Dan? Yeah, so we're thinking about kind of what is the order of folks we'd like to get involved. So there are far more people than are part of this kind of organizing committee right now that have signed up showing interest to use these standards. Hundreds of people have signed up or hundreds of companies have signed up. And initially, when we're thinking about who are going to become members, it's the folks that are providing services to shippers. And we think it makes a lot of sense for brokers, carriers, TMS providers the ecosystem that is responsible for moving this freight and that is kind of hired to do this, to come together and build a standard and build a better solution that we can now start bringing out to the broader industry and to shippers as well. So it's getting the, you know, the initial set of folks was getting momentum around the service providers that are really taking responsibility and, you know, honestly are are the ones that should be um, getting this organized and delivering this as a better solution to our customers. 
Bill, what kind of feedback are you are you getting when you're when you're approaching participants to join this? Um, you, you brought in seven. What are they saying? And, and what are, are have you approached more? Are, are some sort of on the fence? What would you like them to know? Yeah, it's almost universally positive. And uh, from the TMS providers, so this this round we brought in some uh, some of the, the top TMS uh, partners. And for them, I think uh, for the technology providers, they they want to work, they want to collaborate, they want to make sure that the the solutions they're bringing to market work for the broader industry. This specifically is also not something people are looking to differentiate on. I always say it's kind of like uh, you, you know your USB C plug, where uh, once you defined a standard of how you're going to plug things in, it's really everything around that that where you draw, bring the advantage and start to differentiate. So TMS providers are excited to have partners that can they can work with to get to a standard quickly. From a carrier perspective, pretty much every carrier has to face these challenges on a day-to-day basis, from a, be it a broker or an asset owner. And um, you know, Spencer touched on some great examples with the drivers, but it's just, if we can get to the point where this is a no friction, no labor process, everybody sees the benefit of that. And then on the shipper side, uh, you know, shippers understand the value here because ultimately it's about driving labor efficiency, right? You're taking OPEX out of the system. You're making the whole process easier, which then unlocks a whole new set of capabilities and potential where you can start to truly automate every step of this process. So everybody, by and large, everybody's positive. Well, Spencer, what is a system interaction model and how will that change my my life as a user? Yeah, I think there's going to be quite a few different use cases, Dooner, on um, whether you're at the dock at a distribution center in your workflow, uh, whether it's your drivers, whether it's a load planner. Um, What we're trying to do is really um, empower that end user, empower that end user with uh, information. And these systems are going to be able to communicate on this same platform or this same language. But we want to integrate the decision points into the workflow um, really at where that activity is taking place. And if we can do that, then really you could see inside of whether it's a tablet inside of a truck or um, on an app or inside of the planning workflow at the dock, people being able to make decisions, move things seamlessly and make appointment adjustments uh, that really manage the variability. If I'm going to show up early, someone else is going to be late for a variety of reasons. Let's swap those out. Let's make sure that um, we are maximizing time. But I think that's at the end. Today, that communication flow has to go through five, six, seven different steps one way and then back the same the other. It takes time. It wastes time. It's inefficient. And ultimately, we think at the end user, but also automating things and decision points for the end user to make this more seamless. So again, uh, the use cases are going to work themselves out, but that's why it's so important that everyone join us. Um, This is not a really who started this and who's first. This is one of those rare opportunities where everybody who participates wins. So we need more people in the game with us, and uh, we're excited about where it can go through the rest of this year. Dan, what does the API and TMS integration timeline look like? We're looking to get a set of standards kind of aligned on later this quarter. Um, and I think that's the next major step for getting that set up. And then, as we mentioned, there are a few TMS providers that are joining us right now. We're looking to get more involved. But I think the, you know, the first big step is really aligning on the specific standards so that we can start having those conversations and getting them adopted. Um, and I think the, the most important thing for everybody that's kind of considering this and thinking about it is 
uh, you know, as we just said, it's, it's everyone's going to win if we do this. This is not, there's nothing that the three of us are doing or that these other seven new kind of organizing members are doing that is building a specific advantage for any one company. It's just about getting alignment around these standards. And we're going to take those standards and then every company is going to build what they want to build. Build some new technology, um, you know, work with different TMS providers to get them integrated. There's going to be a lot of maybe innovation or development that happens on top of these standards. But I want to make sure it's really clear that the standards themselves and getting this set up is meant to be something for the entire industry. And there's nothing designed as part of it or any gates that kind of make it uniquely beneficial to you know, any of these 10 providers or anybody else that's going to join later. So the SSC, it stands at Uber Freight, Convoy, JB Hunt, Arrive Logistics, Blue Yonder, Coyote, E2Open, Echo, One Network, and Oracle Transportation Management. What a crew. Is it going to get bigger, Bill? Are you looking to bring in more? Is this going to be um, 20 companies, 100 companies, 250,000 companies? Yeah, we've tried to be very thoughtful about expanding the circle, but the intention is anybody that wants to participate, we want to bring to the table. So ultimately, this to get this to be the standard across the industry, yes, we need we need broad participation. So that is the objective. Well, very cool, guys. If if anyone wants to learn more, or they're interested in joining this, or what it means for them and their freight because they work with you, where do I send them to? Yeah, you, you can go, go to freightapis.org. Freightapi.org. Freightapis.org. Very good. Hey, guys, congratulations. I mean, look, you're doing Lord's work. We look, we work in an industry that for a long time, collaboration was tough to have happen, and you are out here making it happen. So a little cowbell, and God bless you, gentlemen. Have an excellent weekend. All right. Thank you. All right, thanks. Sounds good. Take care. Thanks for stopping by. All right, let's see what's next here. Send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavant Logistics says. When you run that really challenging logistics logistical nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Dunavant. They make headaches disappear. Visit them at Dunavant.com. Let's work. Let's look at an amazing video right now. An amazing water rescue during a flood. Get the volume on here. Thank you. Uh, this is Sheldick Wildlife Trust. This they said this isn't a scene from a movie. It's a genuine rescue that took place the other day by two SWT pilots. A tanker crossing from Galana to Kalulu was pushed off the causeway by raging floods and flipping on its side. The driver stranded in rising waters. Now you see these excellent helicopter pilots, the, uh, pilots they have to get super low down to this flood water too. Got to avoid getting dragged out. They don't want this guy to fall in here because he gets sucked away. And here they go, swooping him right out, right out to rescue. Love to see it. Excellent job. A little cowbell for those gentlemen. Wow. Speaking of recruiting, well, not recruiting to the supply chain consortium, but maybe recruiting to trucks. Let's talk to Hunter Yaw, co-founder and CEO over at LogRock. Hunter, thanks for coming on today. Dooner, thanks for having me. Where, where are you out of? Where, are you, uh, where do you call home? I am in the south of Brazil. Oh, wow. Wow. What, what's the uh, weather like in Brazil these days? It's always good down here, man. That's that's one of the one of the advantages. <laughs> so for those who don't know, what is what's LogRock? LogRock does just two things. Uh, in the past, we built compliance software, DOT and FMCSA compliance software for trucking companies. And just last week on FreightWaves, we announced that we now also offer driver recruiting software. 
Uh, and the other big change that we announced last week that we hope is relevant for a lot of folks listening is that all of our software, our driver recruiting software and our DOT compliance software are now completely free, not free as in puppy, free as in beer, honest to God free for all fleets under 50 power units. All right. Get a little pitchy, dog. What's in the name? What is in the name of LogRock? Well, why'd you call it that? Man, we wanted something with logistics, something with truck. And I got to be honest, as you may have noticed, just about every startup it feels like out there has a name that you can't, you try to remember the company and they are all so similar that you can't keep them straight. So we started playing around with logistics, started to look for something that was open. We thought log, 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 logistics, log, 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 what sounds like log, rock. And the <laughs> deciding factor, the deciding factor, which if anyone's honest, they'll tell you when their name in a company is really what counts is was logrock.com actually available? <laughs> So what, what what do you remember like because your company well, you're about two years old now right do you remember the day you were walking around and you're like log rock that's my company I got to start it you know it actually started so I was at a company called LoadSmart uh, that you probably come across uh, sure. for about four years my co-founder and I worked there together so he was the chief technology officer and I was the head of product and uh, we both left LoadSmart and we got to talk and think about what we might want to do next and one of the things we learned at LoadSmart was how many opportunities are unrealized in terms of adding value. Uh, in the supply chain space, in the trucking space. But what we realized was there's about 3 million people out there trying to build software for shippers. Uh, there's a bunch of folks out there trying to build load boards and better ways to connect shippers and carriers. Uh, and just about everyone who's building software for trucking companies is building a TMS. So what if we talk to owners and look at you know uh, uh, research that's been done on what are the biggest problems that owners face and pick one of those very specific problems, not just another TMS that tries to do everything, but pick a very specific problem that drives them crazy. And we looked at things like you know, parking and, and all sorts of other stuff where we just didn't think technology was going to be able to add a lot of value. But when we got on to compliance, uh, you know, most folks, when they learn about DOT compliance, they, they fall asleep. Uh, we sat up, we got super excited because we realized that compliance, DOT compliance, FMCSA compliance, making sure that your trucking company is compliant with federal regulations, that's a data problem. It's about information, information about your drivers, information about your equipment, your maintenance. And data problems are problems that technology is pretty good at solving. And we're tech guys with experience in supply chain, but at the end of the day, we're tech guys. And we thought, well, heck, we might actually be able to add some value there. So we started talking to owner after owner after owner. And they kept saying, man, if you would build something that would make it super easy for me to get confident to sleep better at night, knowing that if I get audited or if, God forbid, I'm in an accident where there's a fatality and I get all my paperwork subpoenaed because I'm getting sued, or my, even my insurance company comes in and audits me and wants to check things out, I actually know that these things are squared away. That would be of a lot of value. And then what we learned as we got deeper on this journey, we started doing that and growing the business, was we had a lot of these, especially smaller fleets saying, hey, if you could also give us just a bare, bare bones recruiting solution, I mean, as simple as possible, that would be great because we can't really afford to pay for one. Or if we are paying for one in this market, we really can't keep paying for it. But mm -hmm. if we had something that lets us know that we're actually following the FMCSA required steps as part of recruiting, because things, when folks think about you know, compliance, they might think about an audit. The other thing is that all starts with hiring. That all starts with recruiting. If you don't hire the driver the right way, you don't get the right documents during the hiring process, you are starting way behind. The odds of you catching up, unfortunately, are pretty low. So folks were asking us, they said, hey, if we could just get a really basic tool that would just help us make sure, because I don't have a dedicated recruiter. I don't have a dedicated safety manager. I got 10 trucks. I got 20 trucks. I can't afford that. So why don't you give me something that's going to be super easy so that I do my recruiting the right way? And then when I get around to my actual driver qualification file, it's already properly populated because I did all the right stuff when I was hiring the driver in the first place. Let's um, talk about that. that let's, let's talk because I was looking at, I was reading Grace Shackey's article about, well, sorry, I saw Paul there. My Boston accent started coming out of some the green room. Uh, I was reading Grace Sharkey's article um, about, uh, about, and you said there's 10 simple steps for recruiting a driver. What are, what are some of those, like briefly, what are a couple steps that uh, people are missing out on? 
not everybody's doing the verification of past employment. You got to reach out to all the previous companies that employed that driver. You got to make sure that you're doing a proper MVR. You got to make sure that you're checking to make sure that their MVR has all the right qualifications and experience for the equipment that you're going to put that driver on and that you don't have a company policy that requires that the driver have or not have something in their MVR. And then you bring them on and the MVR actually says, oh, they don't have that thing that they're supposed to have, or they have, let's say, more violations in the last two years than your company policy allows. You don't pay attention to that or you don't get the MVR at all. You hire them. That driver gets into an accident. The lawyers that are going to come after you, they're going to grab the paperwork for that and they're going to see that that's missing and that's that gotcha moment. Mm -hmm. So whether it's verification of past employment, MVRs, drug and alcohol testing, you got to get all those steps right. And listen, they're not the most complicated things in the world. This is not rocket science, but you got to follow the steps. And, you know, everyone from airline pilots to heart surgeons will tell you the best way to make sure that you don't skip a step that matters is a checklist. And so what we realize is that what smaller fleets need is a checklist. Listen, this thing is not, this does not look like the cockpit of a 747. If you're trying to do recruiting for a, you know, 150 truck fleet and you're hiring a, you know, 10 drivers a week, we're not going to help you. This is a bare bones solution, but it's got that checklist. It lets you generate an application, get a QR code out there. So it's easy for drivers to find the application. We made the application super easy for drivers to fill out, whether it's on their phone or online. Okay. And we're making sure you follow the steps. That's it. Very cool. Well, hey, go check out Log Rock, everybody. Hunter, thank you so much for stopping by the show. You have a great weekend and take care. By the way, Thanks, all I of you, all of you, if you're going down to Nashville tonight, Saturday, or Sunday to go see Taylor Swift, you can thank a truck because that's what brought it. Look at that right here. The great guys at Show Motion bringing this right into a, what do they call it, Titan Stadium? Allegiant Stadium? I was looking on StubHub and it was $735 for the cheapest ticket behind the stage. The Swifties, man. They got all the money. Paul McClellan, man. Let's ship up to Boston. Supply chain veteran. How you doing, sir? What's going on, Tuna? I'm doing good. I'm, you know why I'm doing good? Because the Sox are on like a six-game win streak. The Yankees are at the bottom of the AL East. Uh, you saw Wong the other night just knocking dongs over the wall. Um, Yoshida's getting back into it. Everyone's starting to hit on all cylinders. So as long as we get the pitching down, I, I like this Sox team this year. They're in the same place. They start to climb. Uh, all the other teams start to decline. That AL East is... Uh, it's a tough one. And whenever the Yankees can be behind us, that's always a good thing. Paul, what's going on in Boston? I have not worked in the Boston freight market since, what, 2019 is when I came out here. Have things changed? Are things growing? What's happening in Boston? From what we're seeing, it's growth. Um, if, if you remember the actual footprint and the landscape around here, you had a lot of empty warehouses. Manufacturing disappeared probably in the late 90s, mid 90s. Um, it's all coming back. Uh, you know, the, there is an upside. Uh, I think the consolidation of carriers around here from an LTL perspective kind of helped shaking it up a little when everybody went after the bottom feeders and the low fruit hanging fruit when New England went under, um, that you kind of have a stabilized market. But now with the ports, uh, the three big ports around here, obviously, Portland, Boston, and even Rhode Island are picking up. And even New Bedford now is expanding so there's a lot of talk of making this final destinations from an import standpoint up to the point where carriers still OTRs don't want to come here because they don't like coming to Boston. They don't like coming up to New England, the small streets, the small roads, the big 53s. So I see a lot of ingenuity and creativity with short trucks, 30 footers, um, just even now hot shots. You see a lot of them around here, but they are getting creative because this is where industry is starting to pick up again. 
Has has the the dredging and the expansion over at Port of Boston driven any more um, any more ocean freight over this way? I remember when I was selling freight, I would tell all people all the time, you know, you can bring this into Boston. You know, there's no congestion over at, at Conley, and they would always unload at New York anyway and just truck it down. I'm hearing that that is um, being a little more expanded. Uh, just talking to a couple of my comp carriers who are who have worked with dredge lately, especially at a Conley, you know, Redline Freight. Uh, the Finley brothers over there are doing a huge expansion uh, of what their capabilities are. Uh, but just you've seen a lot more flexibility. And I think it is also because of, uh, if you know the area, you know, Northern Ave and the convention center and all those new access roads that are built in there. It's easier for the trucks to come in rather than going through South Boston. Paul, you know, before you came on, I was talking to uh, Matt McClellan from Covenant, right? He was just got back from ACT. And one of his one of his complaints, and, and I've been around with him, is that a lot of these sales guys, a lot of these project managers, they don't have freight experience, right? So they're out here pitching EVs and stuff, but they don't like that. He was like a trailer, like they're trying to pitch a trailer. And he's like, well, this is cool, but you understand that trailers get positioned all over the place. So electrifying the trailer is actually a much harder problem than electrifying the, the semi truck. Or like he's an over the road carrier and he has 800 to 1,000 mile in eight days, and people are trying to pitch him like 250 mile trucks. How important is experience when selling and messaging, especially for some of these newer companies that are approaching veteran companies? I'll, I'll give you an answer from that managed logistics and brokerage side of the fence. When you're looking at this, you see a lot of mass recruiting that's happening. And I've worked for two big companies. And what they do is they go out for that non-logistics experience and we're going to train you. But the problem is that once the training is over, they're not really in in the mix to understand even simple acronyms uh, to the point where it puts them behind, then there's no trust with the customer. I feel like there's a huge network. And again, this is a Boston perspective. We've got so many great universities up here that have logistics uh, colleges. I don't see that there's a lot of touch touching with those organizations and universities to nurture that um, industry. You know, when you hear the trades, there's no trade schools around, electrical, plumbing, pipe fitting, they're all going to to be stretched uh, for workforce, labor force in the next 15 to 20 years. It's the same with logistics. What we went through in the last three years with low-hanging fruit, high rates, a lot of people making money because it was such a demand. Now the reality sets in where we're in a tough market. And I think that coming into it with no experience from a recruitment standpoint in my side of the industry, it, it's a dangerous mix. From your seat in Boston, what do you what do you make of this market? Um, the, I mean, the new narrative now is that the the second half recovery that a lot of people were hoping for doesn't really necessarily seem to be on the horizon. Second half of the decade or the century, <laughs> because that's how I see it. You know, when you hear people say, "Oh, June," "Oh, it's July," "It's August," "It's September," I don't think anybody knows. I think it's a dart from about two thousand yards away, uh, with the one-eyed person standing the wrong way. Um, again, number data doesn't lie. But the data is so skewed right now that I don't think we even know what could happen. Again, this is only from my perspective. Do you think California comes back or do you think that uh, New York, uh, East Coast ports retain this freight volume? I think just from what I'm seeing, I mean, I drive up and down this coast, East Coast enough that I do see the expansions. I do see that this still being a spot and maybe as far as, you know, the Carolinas and even Savannah. But I think the East Coast is kind of claiming it now to have what's going on, especially when you think of the scheduling that has to happen with these larger ships. Some of them might have already been planned three, four, five months ago. 
And I think it's only helping that when you see all these industry leaders that are out here that are on the East Coast or at least east of the Mississippi, that it just makes perfect sense. Who do you think is doing great work in logistics in Boston right now? Who is doing great work? Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. Um, it, it depends on what you're looking at from, from a network, what, what mode. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different little groups out there that are probably excelling that they're the people would think is underperformers, but they're the ones day to day that are actually doing the work. So I don't think I could actually put a name on it. We've had enough resurgence of brokerages and a few 3PLs up here, large managed logistics that have kind of done the growth, the downsize, the growth, the downsize. So I think it's a pretty flat market, but it's a very viable and needed. What, what's the worst example of double brokering that you have seen or, or one mm. that maybe hurt a customer or hurt you the most? Sorry, personally, um, my team and I were looking uh, recently and we actually saw our load posted and above it, our exact same details posted as well. And then we just happened to notice that there was a pattern with this same agent who was working for a pretty large group, not going to throw it out there, but they were double brokering other brokers' loads blatantly. They were just cutting and pasting the details. And when you see something very specific in details, it kind of stands out. So we called them out on it. Was it just the, because there's, there's sort of the, I don't want to call it a light version of double brokering, but the one where they just take a load and then repost. But then there's like the, the really dark side of double brokering too, where people actually steal loads. Have you ever experienced that? Um, I personally have never lost a load like that, but I know a few of the companies that I've worked with that there's been several loads that have been um, stolen and even held hostage uh, for ransom, which seems to be a pretty popular thing these days. And I think some of the safeguards that are involved with vetting uh, carrier and carrier compliance, uh, as well as MC research. As you know, a lot of these are doing it under the guise of using an actual MC number, but the contact information is wrong. Um, and those are just oversights. And again, that leads to an untrained professional. So I was, I was talking to a, well, one of my coworkers was, and, and he was telling me the story. He's talking to brokerage yesterday. And they said that they recently instituted a policy about six months ago that they won't work with a, with a uh, carrier unless their authority is more than a year old. That's their only criteria. And they said their, their, dub, their incidence of finding double brokering went down 99%. Is that a good method? I, I think it is when, again, you have an internal vetting process. You might be working for a carrier within the last six months. They just hit their grandfather clause to be available on your site six months ago. But now you're telling them, that they're just under a year and you can't use them anymore. That vetting process is probably something that needs to take in on a case-by-case basis. But I do think that the one-year thing right now, and again, this could be a temporary thing, but the one-year moratorium on using someone might be an effective way to flush out all those other ones. Yeah. Bad news for, I guess, a newer carrier just trying to get their uh, their feet off the ground, but it is what it is, and people are trying to combat this any way it can. You know, it's Friday, so it's time for a little good news, bad news. We're going to walk through some videos here. There. Uh, the bad news and good news. First time, so I got to bring you on for a segment. Like, you, okay, when I was in... Hope they're okay. When I was living in like Hanover on the South Shore, for example, I had to have the heating truck come. And when I lived in another house in Massachusetts, I had to have the heating truck come. And I'm sure you you have that out here. Let's take a look at this heating truck right here. This is the standard oil truck. And uh, what you're watching here is the driver's out of the truck. He's off to the left. 
um, putting fuel in the house, setting the hose up. This lady, great fuel guy's here. She's going to drive away. And it starts rolling. You can see the tension come in on the hose. It's on its way to the woods. We don't need another hero. Here comes the driver trying to save it. I don't know what his plan was with that dive. Was he going to grab the hose and yank it back? Was it just human instinct? But it's down there in the woods. Do you ever have that big of a screw-up happen with a truck? Um, again, I personally haven't, but I've heard some pretty unique scenarios where, again, either the brake wasn't going on, uh, pulled out without having the, 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 the trailer legs down, and dropping a trailer full load, I've had that happen. Uh, we've even seen scenarios where, of course, railroad crossings, uh, where someone comes down, they just try to make it, and they try to back up, and they get caught between the truck and the, and the trailer, and they stop. So those are the type of scenarios that I've been witness to within companies that I've been. Never, never good. Well, you ever, uh, you ever broker animals on a plane? Like, I've done dogs before, right? I've never had any snakes before. Take a look at these snakes on a plane. This is out of India. India Customs, it says, Guardians of Wildlife, um, Shetty Customs, they intercepted a female pax arriving from uh, Kuala Lumpur by flight number AK-13. On examination, she had 22 snakes of various species in her luggage, as well as a chameleon. I think you need Samuel L. Jackson's uh, <laughs> quote there from uh, Snakes on a Plane. Who's your freight broker? It's Samuel L. Jackson, MFR. <laughs> That's who it is. <laughs> have you ever had so? You, but you, I mean, you've done you've done like ocean freight brokers. You ever have to import anything really weird? I had to do like a sex swing once. You had to do what? Oh, like a sex swing. That was one of the items. So okay. to classify those. There you go. Just want to hear you say it again. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I never had any. I never I, I, aside. You know, paper goods, paper. Uh, in the printing industry that I spent a lot of time in, uh, that was pretty much the most luxurious thing that I had to do, and unfortunately, it was the most expensive thing, too. Well, I don't know if you watched the New England Revolution, but what if they were to replace them with robotic soccer players? How would you feel about this? I don't think it would go over too well at Gillette Stadium. Are, you know, I went to a Revolution game at Gillette, and if you've never been to, like, professional soccer live... Those guys must get so many concussions. It is, like, insane the amount of times they hit the ball with their head. That was, like, my biggest takeaway watching the game was just these guys smashing the hell out of their skulls on the ball. Well, we we both came from the same high school conference, and I was actually the goalie for my Don Bosco tech. <sighs> Ripped on Bosco, man. I was in wrestling in uh, at CM, and the only person I ever beat in wrestling was from Don Bosco. <laughs> Makes sense. We weren't that good unless we were in basketball or hockey. You have 34 years of experience. What do you call this particular vehicle right here? Yard truck. Yeah. Oh, you're okay. We put a poll out, right? It got very controversial. I didn't realize that people had so many different ideas and theories around this. Uh, the poll, though, most people went with yard dog. About 69% went with yard dog. Yard truck was was next. Uh, shunt truck. The, the, some old school guys, they like shunt truck. Uh, I believe they originally, the company that originally made them, Kansas City Metal Works, I believe it is, in my newsletter, they called them yard hustlers. Over, when I did a short term over at Logan Airport, you know, the little ones that they use for moving a lot of the stuff around, they called them um, uh, midget trucks. And those are like the big, big brothers to them. Oh, uh, well, hey, Matt, the show goes by too quick. 15 minutes, like nothing. People want to reach out to you. They want to bring in your experience into their temple. How do they get in touch with you? 
Uh, they can get in touch with me. Obviously, I'm a LinkedIn person, uh, Paul McClellan, uh, but also through my podcast, Gear Down Podcast. Find it on all platforms, and that's also my Twitter handle, Gear Down Podcast. Nice. Maybe one day I'll be on that one, too. A little cowbell for you, sir. Hold it down over in the bean over there. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find the show at FW What the Truck here on Twitter, on Freight Waves, YouTube. Take care. Don't be a stranger.